Uh, hi. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I'm going to be continuing our sermon series on Sabbath. I will not reach the emotional heights of last week, unfortunately, but I think we'll see where we end up. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk about this. I've got a nice couple of hours prepared for y'all, and I think it'll be a good way to spend that time. Uh, this is uh, a topic that the more I'm like confronted with it and think about it, the more passionate I am, and yet it's honestly still, even with that supposed passion, one of the hardest to implement. Um, so if you've been feeling that, I'm with you there. Uh, and it's something I practice on and off, uh, a period of intense excitement when I first started, I really got into it, um, but then, you know, yeah, anyways. Uh, so, yeah, glad we're talking about this as a church, it's really reignited my, like, desire to do this regularly, Nicole and I have been trying to re-implement it. Today is Sabbath, I'm on my phone to record this, which is breaking Sabbath, but I think we'll be okay. Um, and I've also been thinking about um, this, this, this time around, I guess, I'm getting interested, how much this is about a group level thing. Like, this needs to be one of those things that if our church can get good at this, I think it'll help all of us collectively do this together. It's like the rising tide lifts all boats thing, right? It's harder to do when we don't like normalize it and kind of expect, oh yeah, we're gonna be doing this, like, and kind of help each other plan around stuff. Okay, so before I dive into the main part of my sermon, I want to frame it up a little bit. Um, so one of my favorite resources on Sabbath is a guy named Marty Solomon. Uh, he has this podcast called Bayma, which had a moment for a while. I don't know if people still listen to it. I, I haven't really listened to a lot of his stuff, but I came across this Sabbath podcast years ago, and it was like one of the most helpful things still. Um, I think because he's coming from this like Jewish lens, this perspective of like the rabbinic tradition of Jew. Uh, a Jewish scholars who would look through scriptures and, and look for Sabbath things through the lens of them actually practicing it and understanding it much more than we in the Christian um, tradition do. So anyways, uh, first main episode of this podcast, actually, you can go listen to it later. Uh, he talks about Sabbath. And it's not like the whole podcast is about Sabbath. It's about Genesis 1. Uh, but the way he talks about Genesis 1 just helped me reframe and understand this really for the first time in a really new uh, light. Um, and he shows how Genesis 1, or at least he argues, you can, you can believe it or not, is actually all about Sabbaths. Um, and he goes line by line and kind of explains. And if you're like me, you're like, okay, I can, I can see Genesis 1 immediately, like God rested, sure, it's about, it's about Sabbath in that extent. But he talks about how the entire framework of Genesis 1 is built around this idea of Sabbath. Um, you may be familiar with this idea of a chiasm. Uh, it's a kind of scary, intimidating word for non-scholars and to me too. And I promise I'm not about to do like a pizza theo. Um, I've learned just less is more with some of this stuff. Um, and you know, there's some mental anguish if I try to put us through the whole thing he does. But I'm, I'm skipping all that. I'm just giving you the quick version. Chiasm is a literary device. It's used hundreds of times throughout scripture. You can even find them in Taylor Swift songs apparently. And it can take different forms, but it looks like an hourglass usually. So there's like there's the way that the paragraphs would be structured. There's like the first half, and then there's the central point, and then there's the second half. And the first and second halves before the central point or after, they mirror each other. So it's like they're bouncing off and getting to the central point. And so it's a way of looking at scripture passages or looking at writing and literary um, works in order to figure out, okay, what was the author really trying to like really like send home as the message? Um, and if you just read it like we do, where it's like start to finish, you think, well, probably the last sentence would be the main point, right? 
But no, in chiasms, it, at least in this form of them, the middle is the most important part. So why does this matter? What is this telling us? Um, well, he is saying that if you look at Genesis 1 and you go through this lens of a chiasm, the central kind of treasure, as he calls it, that you find is actually this word um, when it talks about Moab. Um, when it talks about God separating the seasons, there's that part in day four um, where he talks about separating the season. That word there is actually the same word that is used for Sabbath throughout scripture. So when he's talking about separating day and night and setting up, it says these will be a sign for seasons. He's talking there. He's saying that is talking about Sabbath. Um, let me just read that verse for you. I can't read all of Genesis 1 for time's sake, but let me just read that one for us. Sorry, I switched over. Okay, it says, Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will serve as signs for seasons and for days and years. So that's what he's talking about there. That, um, that word about signs for seasons and days and years, that is like the treasure of the chiasm of Genesis 1. Which is strange, right? It seems like a weird thing that that is um, kind of what he's arguing, at least is the main point. So why do I start a sermon like this? Well, because I think it frames our whole consideration of what Sabbath is really about. Let's tie some threads together for a second. Who is the original audience of Genesis 1? Just shout it out if you feel like you know. Yes, I heard a murmur. It's Israel, right? So it's, it's in what time frame in Israel specifically? It's right after their release from slavery in Egypt. <clears throat> Probably around the time they're wandering in the desert, Mount Sinai time. So people were first hearing this stuff. They were either slaves themselves for most of their lives, or they grew up living in a household of slavery. And we know a few things about the Exodus story that give us clues as to what it was like to be a slave in Egypt. I mean, it sounds horrific, obviously. And we can fill in with our imagination and historical context and the rest. But we know that slaves didn't get days off. The work itself was brutal. It was crushing. And in Exodus 5, we get this peek at how Pharaoh treated these people, right? So Pharaoh is the god of Egypt. And what does the god of Egypt do with his subjects? When it asks for a couple days off to worship, Pharaoh calls them lazy, orders them back to work, and takes away their building supplies. Now their work is even harder. They're required to fulfill a brick quota every single day, even with these new work hurdles. And all of this is to serve the economy and the empire that is Egypt, with Pharaoh at the top as the god figure. So this so-called god of Egypt was an anxious, endlessly demanding presence. We know from other parts of scripture in the Joseph story that at least one Pharaoh had fears and anxieties of famine and his reign being threatened. So that surely led to some demand for this endless supply to store grain and all of that. So it's this, that's their god of Egypt that these Israelites are coming from. That's the culture that they're in. So if you're an Israelite, that's the god that the culture around you worships, and maybe you're tempted to worship. It's an anxious presence fueled by endless needs and demands of you to produce and to produce and to produce. So let's say that Genesis 1 is about who God is. It's the origin story of God to his people. And then Genesis 1, through that lens, having a lot to do with Sabbath, makes a lot of sense. Because we consider that the original audience had lived so much of their lives under the back-breaking social environment of slavery. And Genesis 1 comes along as they're in the desert right after this. And it says, Yahweh, 
Yahweh is different than the God you're used to. Yahweh is not like the anxious, never satiated, always demanding God of Egypt that kept you in captivity. Yahweh is not about what you produce. And Yahweh doesn't need your help to keep his world built or to keep it going. In fact, Yahweh created the world and placed you in its garden, the best part of the world, just for your enjoyment. That's where the story starts for people who just got out of slavery. And Yahweh, on top of that, he made you to be not producers, but caretakers. Co-caretakers with him of this good world. And Yahweh is not this anxious presence that's worried about scarcity. Because we can see he himself rests on the seventh day. And he recognizes the good abundance in his world and allows him to rest. So I want you to remember that. Sabbath is about Genesis 1 being heard by a group of former slaves who were rescued from their captivity, and now they're being told about this God that rescued them. This is a very different God than the one that they just were freed from. And Genesis is here to tell us that Yahweh is different. So I'm going to come back to this as we go, but I wanted to use that framework to explore some things today. I think it's definitely overstating to say that we're even close to being in the same boat as the Israelites were in Egypt. But I don't think it's overstating things to say that we do live in captivity to a lot of things. And our modern day Sabbath, when practiced and remembered correctly, I think can really free us from those things and transform us. So the question for us today is what does Sabbath have to say to people in captivity? What does Sabbath have to say to people in captivity? And today really is all about mental rest. Resting on the Sabbath from the things that captivate us for the rest of our week. And there's a lot of directions you can go with that and a lot that we could talk about. But today I'm going to focus in on our captivity to entertainment and social media. Okay, so there we go. We got it framed up, hopefully. First point, Sabbath offers rest in place of restlessness. Sabbath offers rest in place of restlessness. So entertainment, social media, it really it just reflects our culture back to us, right? And if you look around in our culture, there is so much restlessness. You don't have to look far at all. And think of how inundated we are in this media of this pursuit of more. More experiences like the ones these people are experiencing in this beautiful place. More personal beauty like the kind shown to us by celebrities or influencers. More of just the beautiful side of our friends' relationships and a contrast with the bad day we just had with our spouse or roommate. Yeah. And then for some reason, a growing restlessness surges upwards in us and we feel discontent and it leads to restlessness and anxiety. But then we look back at God. God saw that the world was good. Not perfect, but good. And he saw that humans were very good. And what did he do next? He stepped back from his work and rested. He enjoyed the creation as it was for a day. So I want to make a strong case for you today, as so many people have already, that Sabbath is a day we should take a break from social media and entertainment. Just full, full sin. Just take a complete 24-hour break. Jean Twingy is a social researcher whose work in the last decade or so has set out to do a really like respectable studies on the effects of media and social media on humans, more than just kind of like thinking that there might be a relation. Specifically, she has focused on teens and young people coming of age. And uh, her results, which I don't, you know, 
have like a slide for you or anything, I really do encourage you to go check it out. But that overall, just to summarize her work, her results have consistently shown there's strong correlation between use of social media and anxiety, depression, body, self-image issues, suicidal ideation. It's really pretty scary. You can look up her stuff, it's compelling, um, but the more and more research she's done, she's been doing this for over a decade now, the stronger she's able to link these things and point towards there being a strong causation, even if it's really hard to actually prove that. There's at least consistent correlation. And it's almost cliche to pick on social media, right? I didn't really enjoy writing this part of the talk, to be honest, because I'm aware of that. But I want to make a point here before I just move on. If it's true that this like, massive part of our daily lives is at least correlated to all these pretty dire internal issues in humans, that that is a sickness in our society, it strikes me that refraining for just one day of the week is not just in line with the kind of goal Sabbath is all about, but it's kind of the least we can do to begin to take the power away from these things that they have over our culture. Josh made the point to me, I think it's good, that we almost have a kind of Stockholm Syndrome relationship with this stuff, and I think that's right. You know, Stockholm Syndrome, the whole, like, you hear, I think it's like falling in love with your captor um, or just having absolutely no idea that you're actually being held captive by something bad and evil and instead thinking of it as good. And I think we have that relationship with a lot of this stuff. Again, the question I posed earlier is, what does Sabbath have to say to people in captivity? And when I think about the levels of addiction we see with us in technology, despite the growing evidence of their unhealthy effects, captivity seems like a pretty apt word to describe where we're at with it. So please, let Sabbath be a day where we just say no. Sabbath offers rest in place of restlessness. Next point, <clears throat> Sabbath offers contentment in place of consumption. Sabbath offers contentment in place of consumption. One of the hallmarks of modern Western culture is it is a consumption culture. There's indulgence, excess, treat yourself. Much has been said elsewhere about this. I don't need to get into it. Other than to point out that it's very much fueled by our habits with media. Social media in itself is a content medium that just can promote endless consumption. That's, way, that's the way it's designed to work. How many of us have lost ourselves online for hours, watched TikTok so it felt like we had like a digital hangover, right? I did that yesterday, actually, while I was thinking about this sermon. Just got, like, my phone died. That's why it stopped. I was like, okay. This is embarrassing. Um, research. Yeah, there was a lot, a lot of research yesterday. Um, and that's the addictive nature of the content in itself, right? So there's, you know, you can look at this. There's algorithms designed to continuously just kind of IV drip you a steady supply of what it believes you'll find most engaging or funny or maybe just outrageous to anger you. But whatever effect it has on you is not important. These companies make more money the more you consume. But beyond that, when it comes to the issue of contentment, it's not hard to make the case that the media we consume often can mindlessly train us to be less content with our real lives beyond that screen. It's easy to compare our body to the best of the world, right? It's easy to compare our lives to the most interesting lives being lived in front of us on the screen. It's easy to find things wrong with the world when they're being pumped into our feed all the time. And all of this is the opposite of the Sabbath mindset. Genesis 2, 1 through 3 shows God resting in creation and recognizing its inherent goodness. And now we're invited into that same mindset every week for 24 hours. 
So again, let Sabbath be a day we say no to our phones. Say no to the news of the bad in the world. Say no to the comparison and envy that we find online and say no to an algorithm showing us the human experience. Let's follow in God's footsteps. Take a day to look around at creation. I was talking to Nicole about this and joking because she ran into a spider web. I said, babe, it's Sabbath. Just look around at creation and relish in it. Uh, look at your family, your friends, your life, and see it with Sabbath eyes. See that it is good. It is good. Relish in the joy of this little piece of creation that you occupy in real time, right in front of you, yeah. not through a screen. This next thing may sound cynical. I almost left it out, but I think it's true. I think the more I've thought about the social media entertainment, it's just a commodification of the human experience. And I did not get this from Grant, although it sounds like something Grant would say. <laughs> but what I mean is it forces us into this mindless consumption of watching human experience through a screen. We're just like, we swipe our card and the card we pay with is just our time and what we get back is this little package thing of some human experience. It doesn't have to be ours, we just watch it and consume it and then we go to the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one and we spend more time. And it turns what we experience in the world into these little bite-sized pieces that we can just consume over and over. Instead of us actually looking up and doing that ourselves. It's weird. It really is weird when you stop and think about it. So Sabbath is about stopping and experiencing your life fresh and with contentment and joy firsthand. And it's about worship and play and recognition of the inherent goodness of creation in your actual real life. So just think about what effects practicing this for a whole 24 hours every week could have on your view of the world, on your life, and on your relationships. Every week for 24 hours, you stop and you practice contentment for all of those things. How much less cynicism, criticism, frustration, anger with people, or the world might you carry if you just chose once a week to set all that down and remind yourself and the people around you that what God made is good and we can overflow with gratitude for the people he gave us, the creation he made, and the life we have. So on Sabbath, we remember Genesis 1, that creation is good. Yes, it's full of evil, but the most true thing is that it is good. And we need a reminder of this truth. Sabbath offers contentment. Third point, Sabbath offers identity in place of idolatry. Okay, so if my first two points were sounding like an REI commercial, like get outside, unplug, I'm taking a turn on this one, so hang with me. Um, I almost call this point something along the lines of Sabbath is about who we replicate. Because I think what strikes me as I read through the Israelite narrative is that this was reminding them that they are to replicate Yahweh, right? And this has a lot to do with our identity now. Our identity is such a big cultural topic and something that is on the minds of a lot of people. And we have to start in the right place. We have to start with not forming our identity around false gods, just like they had to start with that. So our identity is image bearers of this God of Genesis 1. That's who we replicate. Right. Think of that, that line that Jesus said, Come, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. And this verse honestly stuck in my, uh, just, just sat with me, sat weird with me for a while. Because how do you square this Jesus saying, Come, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest, with these hard teachings like, Leave father and mother, count the cost, or going through the eye of the needle. 
But as I thought about this in terms of Sabbath, it started to make a lot more sense to me. Because I think the easy yoke comes when we get our identity right and drop our false identities and false idols. Because the ones who he called to go through the eye of the needle were wrapped up in riches. And rejecting father and mother is about becoming a new person. It's about our new identity. And I think this ties right back to the Exodus time Israelites. Because have you ever wondered why in the Genesis narrative, it's easy to notice, the phrasing goes, it was evening and it was morning. The first day, second day, it repeats like that over and over. And this is another Marty Solomon thing, but he points out that Jewish, Jewish Sabbath begins at sundown. He says, it's because the day starts when we are getting ready to wind down, when we're going to bed. So the question is, why? Because for the Israelites, they need to be reminded that their day doesn't begin with production. That's the slavery they just came out of. But something is different now. It doesn't begin with thinking about all that you have to do today. You ever like thought about when you're going to sleep and your like, mind is racing with all the things that you have on your plate or whatever is anxious? It's not like a restful way to go to bed because you're just thinking about what do I have to do tomorrow? And Sabbath calls us to say, like, nothing. You can go to bed already in this mode of rest, knowing that tomorrow I get to relish in creation and live in contentment. When you're a slave, you work seven days a week. And the very first lesson that God had to teach his people is the scriptural message to know that who they are is not based on what they do. God's standards do not involve your production. They're just set based on the inherent goodness that he has declared over creation. And you, human, are the crowning moment of that creation. Humans are the only thing he calls very good in the Genesis narrative. So I encourage you to start your Sabbath at evening. Start at the time of day when you stop working, stop producing, and just stop and know that God gave you Sabbath as a gift. It's a reminder to our identity part of our heart that we are loved, we are valued, we are accepted by God, not because of what we do, but because of who we are. Because the core of Sabbath isn't about what you do or don't do, it's about what you remind yourself of. Solomon says in his household, the mantra for Sabbath is we rest, we play, no work, God loves us. And he has his kids to where they now think that and say that when they start Sabbath. We rest, we play, no work, God loves us. And I think our culture is wrapped up in that same narrative that enveloped the Egyptians and by effect their slaves. It's what do you produce and how well do you produce it? How busy are you? Busier than everyone else, right? Are you smarter than everyone else, or at least smart enough to make something of yourself? Are you beautiful enough? Advertisements are here to help you if not. Are you funny enough? TikTok will show you funnier stuff if not. What's the most interesting things about you? Who are you really? Are you a good enough mom, a good enough friend, good enough in bed, rich enough to live that one neighborhood? Are you making enough of an impact to be remembered? Do you know the number one thing people want to be when they grow up right now is famous? Do you really have main character energy or are you a side character? (laughs) So are all my Gen Z years. Who are you really? Guys, these are the false messages and the false questions 
of our time. And they're paraded through our subconscious day in and day out when we engage with media and social media endlessly. And they're these false gods. And they have us captive to lesser and greater degrees. But again, Sabbath is there to free us. Because the Bible starts with telling us who we are and who we imitate. It says, you don't imitate Pharaoh, the anxious, never-satiated production and performance-obsessed God. This idea is at the core of our identity. Our identity is marked by being made in the image of God, being replications of God's image on earth. So the question is, is your identity wrapped up in imitating something false, something handed to you by a false God of our time? Something handed to you by something you consume that is not the image that God gave us. So Sabbath reminds us who we are. If nothing else, it says, for at least 24 hours a week, call to remember who you really are and who you imitate. And you imitate Yahweh, and Yahweh is different. Yahweh begins our story by telling us our day begins when we stop, when we cease giving anything we cease producing anything. We cease being valuable by any of the worldly standards, but we're immensely valuable by God's standards. <clears throat> okay, I'm gonna wrap all this up and hopefully bring it home. In my practice of Sabbath, I've really experimented. The first time I really took a dive in all this, like I said, was a few years ago. It was before Jude, was a twinkle in my eye. Uh, I read Abraham Heschel's book on Sabbath. Uh, of course, Comer's Ruthless Elimination because um, everyone wouldn't shut up about it for a while. I'm not bitter. It's okay. Um, it was good. It was good. You should read it. I listened to podcasts and started trying to practice it. And I, I, did, I did what they recommended. I started on Friday evening. As the sun was going down, it would go till sundown the next day. And I was inspired to say the Shema. It's a prayer that is recited in Jewish practices of Sabbath, uh, I think, to this day. And it comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. You can pull that up real quick and read it with me if you want. 6, 4 through 9. Anyways, it's a declaration of faith in one God. It goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Okay, so I'd say that, right? Then I would usually do something like this. I'd go on a long walk outside. I love TWU for this. Shout out to all my T-dubbers. Y'all got a beautiful campus. Um, and um, start by praying, talking to God, saying prayers of praise, and noticing things. You know, noticing, this sounds so stupid, but it's real. Noticing the trees, noticing the sky, noticing buildings even, and the people that God made that made those things. Um, and then, you know, back home, I might do some worship and eat some food, sit with Nicole. She edited. This was during one of her crazy seasons. But anyways, that whole 24 hours, I'd stay off my phone and off the TV. And I can't tell you what a difference that piece of it made. That's why I want to talk about this this week. Um, it's really kind of a make or break part of it, I think, because of the culture that we live in. Uh, anyways. Each Sabbath looked a little different after my initial start to it. Sometimes I'd read a lot or go to bed earlier. Sometimes I'd see a friend and pretend like we both knew how to play music. I spent the entire day one, one day in a backyard around our fire pit with a nice fire. And people stopped by, spent time there too, cooked apples and bacon on a skillet on the fire. 
Um, one day I spent most of the day in the pool. One day I went on a long motorcycle ride and got really sore. Um, rode the hog off into the sunset, if you will. Um, and sometimes I spent a lot of time with people and sometimes I didn't. Sometimes it was more of a, you know, on my own kind of thing. It doesn't have to be one or the other. But honestly, it was truly a radical and transformative kind of time period for me. I remember talking to friends about it and kind of feeling this desperation for them to try it too. I'd be like, you know, excited and stumbling over a piece of books I'd read and sharing some of my experience. You ever have that where you're like just caught on to something and you're like, <laughs> you know, you're like trying to like get people in on it and they're like, oh my gosh, when can I hang up the phone? Um, and over time, as I did it more, I got more kind of lax on it, to be honest. I might be on my phone for just a few minutes here or there, no biggie, right? Might not start it the night before or go till sundown. And then over more and more time, I slipped further, forgetting it more. Until for a long time, I didn't really set apart a day for Sabbath after all. You know, you have a baby and you make all these reasons and whatever. Even the little concessions, though, added up to big changes in my experience of Sabbath. So especially media interaction. I don't know what it was, but if I conceded on being on my phone or watching stuff, it just impacted my Sabbath experience more than almost any other like concession. Um, uh, this past winter, a lot of things happened in a row uh, that made uh, for a season that was truly just kind of one of the, not one of, it was the darkest and hardest few months I've ever experienced by a pretty wide margin. Um, I don't really want to get into details because I'm not sure how to express a lot of it. Um, and I'm not sure it's really necessary. But one of the things that came out of that time was that I was kind of forced into a Sabbath posture on a lot of those days. Yeah. Yeah, I had little in me to do anything. I couldn't enjoy entertainment or be on my phone. I couldn't figure out what was going on with me physically and mentally. I was panicky and anxious unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. My perception of the world and my environment was totally skewed for weeks. Most days I was fighting lies and thoughts on a loop nonstop. <clears throat> Truly the only thing I found some semblance of solace in were things that I've since realized are what makes up Sabbath. There was the comfort of just being present with people I loved, finding multiple times throughout the day to literally just make an inventory of everything in my life that was true and good and sweet even if it was really hard to believe. <clears throat> Dang it, I went Emily's route. Um, <clears throat> getting on my knees before God and worshiping, and honestly just crying out in desperation a lot of times. Uh, listening for him and seeking his presence. And I'm not saying it was rest. <laughs> it was not rest, not in the sense that I wanted it to be anyways or that I seek out on Sabbath. Uh, but those times were actually healing. And I think now, as I'm trying to re-implement Sabbath again and learn the rhythms of saying no to a lot and embracing the good guidelines of what made those initial Sabbaths so sweet, I'm realizing what a gift Sabbath really is. Because yeah. these things that were so healing for me in the darkest points of my life are the things that God invites us to every single week. I'm realizing that is a precious, precious gift. So what if we viewed Sabbath not as a bitter discipline to be fought for, but as a weekly time of healing? Healing from the rest of the week and all that we're exposed to during that time. What if the gifts you experience on Sabbath are meant to heal you and prepare you for the next week 
And to miss them is akin to having ailment after ailment build up in your system until your immune system is just overwhelmed. You can't fight it off. Essentially, I'm saying, what if we really viewed Sabbath as a gift? We stopped joking about it, and we took it seriously. What if we took once a week to let God tell us our identity? What if we took once a week to be truly and wholly content in the goodness of our creation in our lives? What if we took one whole day a week to believe Jesus when he says, come to me and you will find rest? I want to wrap up with this one final image. I talked about Heschel, um, which if I could get you to read one book on Sabbath, it would be Abraham Heschel's book. It's incredible. It's short, it's contemplative and spiritual, and to me it's just a massively big gift to people who are trying to understand this. Anyways, one of the concepts he reflects on in that book is this idea that we in modern Western society have no real semblance of what he calls the architecture of time. Sounds a bit mystical to our Western minds, so just go with me on this for a second. I think it's worth it. We have all this space, right? <clears throat> we conquer space by building in it, by walking in it, driving, whatever. We make beautiful spaces within spaces. But time for us is just this idea of a currency we spend in order to better enhance our experience of space. We spend time to make things nice or to gain something for our lives. We create churches and call them a safe space for people to come to and experience God. We buy homes as a space for families to be built. We build malls as a space for commerce. You get the idea. It's how we feel a sense of power over our environment, he says. So that therefore, if something doesn't appear to us as a thing, we have a very loose concept of, our, of it being reality. We don't really know what to do with time except make it serve our other goals of space. And then this affects our concept of God, because we say, where is God? What place can I go to find him, or how can I bring him near? But Heschel argues that this is a really core view of existence. He says scripture is at least as occupied with time as it is with space. He says all the other gods around Israel, including Pharaoh, were also just obsessed with places or things and building them and making those empires. But again, God, Yahweh, was different. Yahweh throughout scripture is a God of events. Events in time. Because God is the redeemer from slavery. He's the revealer of words in scripture across time. And he's manifesting himself in events in history rather than things or in places. And Heschel points out that scripture begins not with a holy temple being erected or a tabernacle being built, but even before man was made, God creates a holy place in time. And he calls it the Sabbath, or we call it that. And then Genesis 2-3, he blessed that day and made it holy. Before he even made humans, he set it apart. And Heschel says, six days a week, we live under the tyranny of things in space. On Sabbath, though, we become attuned to something that is holy in time. And I think the image that has stuck with me is what he calls a palace in time. I always think of it as a cathedral. I just realized when I reread the book, I had it wrong for years. But it's fine. Anyways, instead of the cathedrals we all think of with their majestic architecture of stone and their occupying of space, he says we need to make that same structure in our time. And we need to treat it like something just as real as that cathedral that we step into and feel a sense of presence or awe. 
So every Friday evening, as I said the Shema, I picture the cathedral, not in space, but in time. I open the doors and I step inside. You know, cathedrals are where it said people encounter God, and if you've been to one, I, you know, you kind of get it. They're incredible. They, people go there to worship, they rest, you know, sometimes by sleeping through a long mass or sermon or whatever. And they step inside a space set apart in time, right? Sacred and holy from all other spaces. Or at least that's how they're supposed to be. So I invite you to view Sabbath this way. I invite you to step inside a cathedral in time every week. To go in and find rest there from your restlessness. To hear what Sabbath has to say to your captivity, to your producing, your idolizing, to your anger and critique and insecurity. Let God remind you of who you are at least once a week. Remember that Yahweh is different at least once a week. Remember that the world is in fact good at least one day a week. Relish, stop, delight, play, and worship. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for the way that you have set up this place for us to find rest and that you told us that this is where we can go and you want us to get there, that you showed us how to do it initially. Thank you for loving us in this way. Thank you for giving us the best gifts. And please help us to just take you up on that. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Ryan. Nothing to add. Nothing, no things I could say. But um, I do want to say, if you're feeling a little bit of the, the kind of guilt of reflecting on things about your life and habits and stuff like that. Um, try to push that away and remind, this is what's hard about taking a topic like this, trying to take it piece by piece. Remind yourself of what we talked about so far and combine it with what we've been hearing about this week and the next week, and, and et cetera. But Sabbath takes time and practice. Don't let yourself just feel discouraged and um, to the point of feeling defeated before you try anything. So try to hold these things, these truths that we're hearing from, from people in our community. Um, together. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.